Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I've absolutely had, what, now like 100 days to reflect? It's been a, it's been a, like 100, and for me, I think it's 104, 105, because you know I've worked out like mm. 104 of the 105 past fucking days. Um, it's great. And yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, we're learning things about ourselves. We're like forever changing, you know, <laughs> the, the course of our lives it's and true. how we're going to live. And I don't know about you, but I really had some deep introspection and, um, realized I've only sat on my own toilet for 100 days. <laughs> Isn't that crazy when you think about it? <laughs> Well, I guess Just, I've so. had so much home toilet time. Yeah. When usually like your butt gets to try out, you know, other different seats. Different seats. I've only dissed. I've been, what do you, I've been in a monogamous relationship with my shit box. But I'm telling you, like, really deep thoughts I'm keep crossing deep. my mind. I love that you're just, like, sitting on the can and you were like, oh, you just, like, slowly reach down and, like, caress the side of the porcelain bowl and you're like, just me and you, babe. Just it really is. You. I'm like, I'm sorry. I've never spent this much time with you before. I mean, I know we've just been getting to know each other. Well, that's but the it's- thing, too. You just got to, like, get in there and uh, get it. Apparently, you just need 100 days straight with your toilet. But I'm also like, I'm not going to be able to go to the bathroom the way I would like to now. No. We're out and about in public. No. And I've got my handheld tushy. You know, I like the safety of my own germs and my own bathroom. Like, I've become an elevated bathroom experience. I get it. Right. No, we have uh, an actual tushy on the way. (laughs) And you know I'm a squatty potty a person. Yeah, you your toilet is like pimped out. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. So much extra stuff. If happening. my legs aren't up in the air when I take a shit, it's not worth it. I told you once <laughs> I put I put my knee my feet up on the luggage at an airport so I could poop properly. I can't. I hate that story <laughs> with all of my might. I just immediately am like don't ever ever let your suitcase come near my house or my family. Brooke starts to gag and she goes, Oh COVID, COVID Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sidework Podcast. I am your host, Brooke Van Poplin. Hi, guys. I'm your other host, Andrea Wallace. And uh, real quick, everybody who's been listening or new to the podcast, uh, you guys help us out so much when you subscribe rate write a fun little review um it helps us look good to our new bosses you'll have podcast yeah. on, the, on the network the last podcast network they'd like that um maybe somewhere down the road too we're looking into a patreon yeah. although i do have to agree i feel like an asshole asking for people 
you know, to give a little when we're in a strange time of no jobs. Yeah, but we'll see how it goes. If it's worth it to you guys and if in like a few bucks, um, five bucks is something you can do, then I think maybe a Patreon's worth it. But yeah, yeah. we'll keep exploring we'll that. like put it up. See what happens. See what happens. I know a register voice when things get awkward. You know, yeah. uh, sure. Sure. Sounds good. Um, but hey, Brooke, I can. I know. Brooke and I are in the same room, you guys. I don't know if you can tell the difference in quality just <laughs> over, like, just being able to see each other and smile, you know, no Zoom feedback. Yeah, Brooke's, Brooke's face isn't bouncing off a satellite back to me, basically. Right. It's this what's is, happening. It's, it's IRL. This is in the old days. Um, it's really nice to see you and it's be in the so same room. It's so good to see you. Shit feels a little normal right now. I know. There's little things happening now where it's like, I just, I like leave the house for an appointment and i'm just like do 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 the shit is normal i feel fine like and so. then you put your mask on to walk into you right know. right because make no mistake we put our masks on and if you're a fan and ally of the show you too are wearing a mask yeah we can actually uh, send you guys if you don't know where to get masks we have a listener uh-huh. who can actually uh send them some oh. you can pay for them yep and you got some they are my favorite masks. they're so great band-aid bennett morgan bennett we will uh specifically like i can't it's gonna be the masks i work in because i, I feel like that. they have the most breathability they do yes they're, they're really sturdy breathability i really suggest um like i said she's got three layers of protection <laughs> there's one that's like like sort of like a panty liner for the face sure you know it's very light light like, days right light days where i'm like i'm just going to get the mail yeah i'm just going to get the mail nothing heavy duty then there's like a medium <laughs> there's like your heavier <laughs> Right, like then there's, like, then there's like a heavy flow days. Heavy COVID flow day yeah. where you're like, okay, I'm going to go to the to the um, grocery store that does not practice good distancing right. or disinfecting. So oh, I'm going to yeah. do the heavier one. Oh, for me, it's going to be like, I have to work 10 hours. Yeah. And so you're going to have to do like the super, you know, super absorbency. Um, yeah. And continuously spray it with disinfectant all day. Yep. And wear a face shield because then, I'm going back to work, motherfuckers. I know. Andrea, the date's official. She's back in just a, just like over a week. A week from today. I'm back. I'm back in there. I'm back, I'm back in the game. So happy for you yeah. and I'm um, am I in the books not yet okay great great I gotta I gotta let this woman touch my face I'm so excited <laughs> oh I love it um well let's just jump right we've got a really stacked show today so I figure we could just jump into our top of show content yeah with a fun headline that uh just um it's a little bit older but I find it very relevant and fun uh Cracker Barrel chains mm. have announced to boost their sales during this kind of uh, on and off, up and down reopening phase. They are finally, God bless, about to start serving alcohol. Oh. And and to me, it is kind of mind-blowing that there never was alcohol, especially at a place called Cracker Barrel. I thought they were just kind of like a dinery thing. Like Denny's doesn't serve booze. I mean, it's Do they? true. No. They might have like the one like Miller, bottle of Miller Lite, but it's just, it's that feel. And it's like kind of like a family... Right, but I'm sitting here going like, "What a gross misuse! All these years of all the rocking, I rocking know. chairs you can't, on, like, your- sit out with the some booze on the rocker, right?" And I imagine it being served in like a mason jar, <laughs> you know, and it's probably just going to be like a lot of, um, you know, Tom's hard lemonade, yeah, or sweet tea wine, sweet tea wine. <laughs> What have you? Something with a lot of violet syrup in it. I don't know. I just feel like everything's got to be brown because everything in there is brown. All the food they serve is kind of brown. <laughs> So just brown alcohol. I mean, it'd be really great if they like maybe made Cracker Barrel like old heritage style maybe moonshine. Maybe they're brewing their own alcohol. <laughs> They'll start making mead and IPAs. Truly, truly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the uh, this is 
per Delish, which I love reading Delish.com. Um, yeah, the chain just is expecting sales to be choppy, quote unquote, <laughs> choppy for a while. <laughs> I love that word. Well, let's see. We'll uh, see how it goes. But we're, that's how we're feeling right now. Uh, but yeah, the CEO told investors, uh, quote unquote, Everyone is having trouble predicting what's going to happen as restaurants reopen. And as we know, a lot of them are going right back down in the South. And a lot of, you know, heavily populated Cracker Barrels are in the South. Yeah. You know, they're up in northern Michigan. That was sure. a favorite dinner. They're, they're kind of all over. They're definitely more of a Midwest thing. I've actually only been to a Cracker Barrel like one time in my whole life. They're an experience, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, they now have the menu that's like slightly lighter fare where you can get steamed vegetables uh. and a piece of, uh, you know, steamed tilapia with lemon, which I mean, it's as good as you can do. I don't usually eat river rat, but like <laughs> I, I was just like, fuck it. I'm trying to wash my waistline a little sure. bit. I, I feel like if you're going to go, you just need to like dive on in there. And well, and that's true. It. And they're, they're going to do, um, a simpler, uh, simpler to execute menu. Right. And like a lot of people are doing a, they pare yep. it down. Totally. Uh, but a new improved chicken pot pie, we might have to make a date to a Cracker Barrel. Sure. Let's find out where the Brian, where's the nearest Cracker Barrel? Probably in Simi Valley or Palmdale. Uh, oh, I doubt it. I'm not sure. Because people like like Waffle House is a mystery to people on the West Coast and, you know, northern states. You have to be like crossing down like into Kentucky and then you start to see them along the highway right. when you're, when you're traveling South. But yeah, Brian's looking up. He's going to find out where the local Cracker Barrel we'll is. We'll just wait. We're just going to wait. And then that's going to be our first. Rialto. Sell- Rialto. Okay. 48 miles. I do it. Hmm. Well, wait, we're going to have to get, I, I want to get if drunk. I, I'm not, I, yes, we'll have to get drunk. So we'll, we'll need a chaperone. We'll need a chaperone or an Uber. Um, and everyone new to the show, too, uh, on the ones and twos, our main man, our audio guy, is Brian Lucas. Hi, Brian Lucas. There yeah. he is over there. I, I He's the best. Thank you for looking that up. Uh, uh, the demand of the Google in the hand, and now it, it happened. Thank you for giving us that information. Also, look, ugh, good for Cracker Barrel, but it, I, I don't want my... My re my born again virgin back into the I, I know. restaurant world to be a Cracker Barrel fifty okay. miles away where I have to drunk drive home. Okay, all right, we can do better and we can support <laughs> local. Okay, totally fair, <laughs> totally fair. I get it, but good for them. Good you for know, them. everyone's everyone's got to pivot right now. Really do think outside that Cracker Barrel. <laughs> So, okay, uh, we are moving back into, because we, we thought the listener submitted content. Um, we thought that that would hopefully be tapering off a little bit. Nah, and it turns out second wave. So we've got some listener submitted uh, feedback, which I think is really great Uh and I'll try and repost this somewhere. We are going to try and start a Facebook group. Great. We'll do it. We'll do it. Um, and so uh, this was shared by Matt Gomez at mgomez16. And he's not taking credit for reading this. He doesn't know who did it. So that's our disclaimer. If you know who wrote this and made it go viral around Facebook, uh, do let us know and we will credit. Um, but this is what was posted for people who are thinking about going out to eat and is a real defense of the safety of um, restaurant workers. So says, please read before you decide to dine outside now that restaurants are beginning to reopen. 
Yes, restaurant patios will be open. This is a new world, though. You're most likely going to a restaurant that threw together a patio in hopes of making some money. The building was not designed for this. They are trying their best, but everything may not be perfect. Eating in the streets is fun, but is going to be hard on the employees. (laughs) They have to wear a mask and gloves no matter how hot and go possibly a few hundred feet to get more water. They are going to be hot sweaty, and most likely overwhelmed because these restaurants are not set up for this. Please help your servers in this journey by doing the following. Oh God, before we start get- this, can I just say, yeah. this is my fucking weight mirror. This is. is like, my weight mirror, you guys, is my sections in the middle of a field. Yeah. And I have to go all the way to, like, all the way to a house through like, and then I have to go back through tall grass to this like clearing in a field. This is my weight mare. My weight mare is that I work at, at an airport and my tables are in a different terminal and I have to, <laughs> I have to get on, I have to get on like, like the, you know, the sky, the oh sky bus or whatever it's called and be like, Oh my God, I'll be right back. Yeah. I'm in terminal. And then a. when you go find things, you're like running up and downstairs and it's just like, who knows who you're running and you're into. Like, you're running out, into ex-boyfriends. Went, went and, out the wrong, went out the wrong way and you have to go through security again <laughs> to get to your table. You're like, fuck oh, me. Boy. That's a real weight mare. Okay. So here are some tips. Let's, should we go back and forth through number yeah, 12? Absolutely. Okay. Number one, do not run your server. Try your best to ask for everything you need at once. And remember, it's going to be a long walk from the street into the building for more water or anything else. Help us out by asking for everything at the same time. Amen. Okay, number two, no mask jokes or your views on them. The server is the one who has to wear it the whole shift. They have no choice. And really, your opinion on them while you're eating and not wearing one means nothing to them. I added a little bit of that disdain flair. Uh, that was a personal yes, choice. Yes, we're definitely um, glittering these up. Um, okay, number three. The server is wearing a mask to protect you, and you have nothing to protect them. Wash your hands. So triggered. Okay, number four. You eat, you go. Boy. Eat your meal. Have some drinks, but please do not sit at a table all night unless you continue to spend money. These restaurants are working with very limited space. They can't afford for you to order two side salads and water and sit there for four hours just because you wanted to get out of the house. Yes, people do do that. They've been doing it all the time. Hashtag no more campers. Camping okay. camping season's over. Can I just say that I think the Olive Garden, when you hear your family, should just re- 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 replace it with Olive Garden, you eat, you go. <laughs> or anybody for that matter who wants to replace any catchy slogan that might be uh, coined by the place you work at or my family eats and goes just like just like at the holidays yeah it's just like when you make love you you just eat and go if you know what i mean okay um what number five don't come in if you're sick this is just like yeah duh duh Number six, social distancing. Keep your kids at the table. Yes, they're cute, but if they are running around, they are getting too close to other people and they are germ factories. This is fucking crazy. This is probably still, this is like totally happening right now and it is making me crazy. Number seven, cut everyone some slack. Everything may be a bit slow because it's basically a new job for everyone. Be kind. Which immediately, kindness is great, but not enough. Number eight, tip. Okay, tip. They're going to be sweating, wearing masks, all to make a buck. Please treat them right and leave a decent tip. If you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. Nope, 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 nope. 
Number nine, be pleasant. You should be happy. You're finally out. Amen. Amen. Okay. Remember last week we said being in a restaurant is now just happy hour. Yeah. The it's, whole, there's no more specials. It's just, just being ha- there. Yep. is special enough. It's a happy hour and everything's special. Okay. Number 10, realize that the staff is legitimately doing their best. And I will add to this too. They haven't gone to work in over three months. Nope. And they're also like you, like you said, it's a brand new job. Everybody's making it up as they go along which we all have to do waiting tables anyway because every day is different. So imagine that every day being different with all the other shit piled on top of it, on top of it, on top of it. And a pandemic lurking around every corner. Oh, boy. Number 11. Remember, you have three meals a day every day of your life. This is only one of them. Calm down and enjoy it. (laughs) And number 12 is just please copy and paste. Please copy and paste. Number 12. Which is not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is not, that doesn't relate to restaurants, turns right. out. This is for the social aspect. Right. So. Like, don't copy or paste anything, like, when you're actually out running right. Don't bring glue. Don't bring a glue stick. Um, unless it just says, like, I don't know. I don't have anything quirky to say. All right. Well, this this section of the show has now, I think, kind of, it's holding space for two huge lifetime events that we're experiencing, which is a pandemic the first time in all of our lifetimes for the most part. And now uh, a social uprising that is fighting for the equality of our black citizens and dismantling the police yes. corner. Yes. Um, so let me, Can I, I'm going to fucking Buka bell that. All right. So this, um, this is a post that's brought to our attention, uh, attention from a listener who uh, she's at Cheeky Snacks. And I think if I'm saying her um, name correctly, it's Anise, which is really pretty. Uh, and hit us back. Let me know if I'm butchered that, girlfriend. Okay. So she brought um, a post from the Ace Hotel New Orleans to our uh, attention. And I'm just going to read verbatim real quick. Um that the Ace New Orleans posted uh, then, now, always Black Lives Matter on their social media. And their statement is, we are outraged by the continued murder and oppression of black people and the inhumane police brutality perpetuated by a culture of violent white supremacy. Supremacy. And what they're saying, which I think is why everyone's kind of like, ugh, you know, there's been some back and forth and some real bullshit with this because the Ace New Orleans apparently has been a little problematic. So they said, we've been quiet as we take a hard look inward to identify racism and inequality within our own house. We commit to making the systemic long-term changes that we know are critical. We have work to do and we hold ourselves accountable for making a meaningful impact in the fight to dismantle racism, police brutality, and white supremacy. This means setting clear goals, rethinking internal practices, and being even more intentional in our continued support of local communities. More from us soon. And so basically at Cheeky Snacks, her comment to us personally was, hi, I am this person, you know, because myself and former and current employees suffer racism and abuse, both from management and restaurant guests. And we've been speaking up, but unfortunately don't expect them to change. Serving sucks, but serving as a marginalized person is its own form of torture. And I'd love for you guys to touch on that on the pod. Yeah. And the truth is, um, while today's episode is about, you know, we wanted to squeeze in by the end of June an episode for a different civil liberties, which is really important for pride. We are working on hopefully a series and maybe even the next episode actually being the huge, like one of the most unspoken, uncomfortable things we all know as servers, which is racism and discrimination Mm -hmm. within the service industry. So we hear you and yep, we are talking to potential interview guests 
and trying to get a good cross section of people who can speak on it authentically and not have it just be, um, you know, Andrea and I, even though we've had our experiences, it's from a white woman's perspective. Yeah. So we want all voices heard. Absolutely. Um, this just makes me so mad because it's fucking New Orleans. Like, give me a break. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I know that people are like, well, it's also the South. But I'm just like, but New Orleans is like, like everything that is New Orleans is because of like black art yeah. and culture. Like, anyway. But yes, we just want everyone to know um, that we want to continue to do that. And also our episode last week with Confessions of a Server was... Such a fantastic and eye-opening and learning moment sort of uh, podcast episode with Creelan Harris, Confessions of a Server. Um, so definitely go listen to that one too if you haven't heard it yet. Awesome, you guys. Well, I think it's I think it's time for some server submitted stories. First story entitled "The Oyster Couple." Um, hi, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Uh, this is from uh, DJ, DJ Duman. Yeah, on Instagram. Mom. Yeah. Um, and I've been meaning to submit the story for a while now. Thank you. Thank you. We love the stories, by the way, guys. I've lived in Los Angeles for a long time now where I work in wine wholesale. My last full-time server job was at an organic, sustainable seafood restaurant in Berkeley, California. California. <laughs> California. While our food was excellent, you can imagine the confluence of piggy weirdos a restaurant like that would draw. You had a strict farm-to-table Alice Water devotees that came in, uh, academic one-upmanship, and holier-than-thou organic dick-measuring contests. <laughs> oh, Berkeley. As servers, we had to memorize the provenance of all our fish, meat, and produce down to the specific farms. Uh, this included our oysters where we needed to know both the variety and the geography. Um, okay, here we go. What a setup. I know. You, I, <laughs> I, I can picture myself. <laughs> As a seafood restaurant, we offered dollar oyster happy hour from five to seven. Even back then, dollar oysters were essentially a break-even proposition once you factor in labor, even though our rock star pantry cook could shuck an oyster in literally one second. That's dope. That, that's so fucking sexy. The goal with a happy hour is to get people in the door, add half a dozen oysters to their dinner, or maybe order and eat a dozen oysters while over put it, while also putting back a few beers or glasses of wine. Most customers recognize this as an unspoken rule. One couple did not, however. <laughs> they were a couple in their late 40s. He always dressed in a three-piece suit plus fedora, and she dressed like the aging showgirl we all assumed she was. <laughs> The rumor was that they were independently wealthy, having inherited a bunch of property from their parents, like a number of well-to-do hippies in the Bay Area whose parents had been slumlords in the (laughs) 60s and 70s. (sighs) Okay. They'd order dozens of oysters, one order of french fries, and bring their own bottle of shitty Chardonnay, which is a $15 corkage fee added on at the time, and nothing else. As a pair, they'd recently put down six to eight dozen oysters. I love oysters, but that's a disgusting number of oysters. I can't That's even. like you get poisoning. When they usually came in together, sometimes they would be joined by another slightly younger and always different man. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Their record-breaking night came when they involved a third, so to speak. On this particular evening, the woman in the couple wore a corset so tight that her decolletage... 
which means titties, spilled out to the point where a good fifty percent out, where a good fifty percent of her areola was visible. <laughs> so it just tits out. I didn't see that part. Just oh tits my out. God, she's like an actual girl. Mid, yeah, or like a medieval bar wench. Oh yeah, totally. Oh good lord. The couple and their male companion put back twelve dozen oysters. No. Fuck. They literally ate a gross of oysters, plus the French fries and the same shitty Chardonnay. $144 in oysters, $5 in French fries, $15 corkage fee, and the tip, $15 fucking dollars. I hope they had a fun night. Thanks for letting me share. I love the podcast, and it's interesting to hear perspectives from other states and people who worked in more corporate restaurants environments, um, having never worked in a state besides California. Or work to anything larger than a small local restaurant group. Cheers, David. Okay, as somebody who, like, look, I'll go to an Oyster Happy Hour and probably order, like, two dozen. But I tip the fuck out of everybody. I drink a ton. I have the time of my life. I sit at the bar. I don't take up table space. This is disgusting. This is egregious. And, like, how dare you? I know, listen, I know I started the show off talking about my toilet because we're not above this. I- what comes out of you the next day? It's when so much protein, it's right? It's so gross and so much salt, seawater, and brine. And you're and, actually, it's like a, and you're slurping it. You're not digest. So it's, yeah, you just swallow. You kind of chew, chew, swallow. So it's like solid. Not to mention like the, um, you know, the zinc overload. Because oysters are full of zinc, which is like in, good for you. But this is an insane amount of zinc and, that you're putting into your system. And also like the, the bivalve uh, roulette you're playing with a bad oyster. <laughs> your your odds only go up exponentially <laughs> when you are slamming 48 oysters alone. I know. What is wrong with you? Look, I, again, I love oysters and I can, I can easily take down like a dozen on my own because that's just, but I'm not like, it's just. I'm good for six. But I'm I realized good, I'm good I'm, for six. I'm, I'm, I'm a good patron. This is disgusting. And these people are obviously like milking the system. I wonder how sad their lives have been since they can't go take advantage of oyster happy hour. Boy, they're going to be back with a vengeance. Um, I just want to just, I just have to. to yeah. Yeah. I mean, are you crunching some numbers right well, now? What are you doing? It should have been obvious because it was $144 in oysters. There are dollar oysters. It should have just jumped off the page and I should have been like, I'm so smart. I know. But I did, I did calculate, uh, that and it's 144 oysters because it was their dollar each. So it was already people, people probably were like, Oh, that's 144 oysters. Um, you know, I have COVID brain. I can't do math anymore. That's totally fair. We're all going to get better at all this once we're allowed outdoors. Um, all right. Thank you so much for sending that, David. It was so awesome to hear from you. All right. And our next story comes from a longtime pod listener, fan, friend of ours. We're also likewise a fan of Midwest Nice Makes. Um, so this this one's titled Moonshine, Photo Shoots and a Speedboat. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Amanda. Okay. She says, my lights, my loves, my sisters in serving. I love you. I've got a story for you that is long-winded and wild. Buckle up. All right. So put my glasses on for this. All right. Many, many moons ago when I was fresh out of college and still put effort into my looks, I dressed up for work at a craft beer bar. Being 23 in the mid-2000s, I had no choice but to wear the red lipstick and victory rolls that were practically required of a wannabe rockabilly babe. 
been there. <laughs> Every day before my shift, I would lacquer my lips, flick my eyeliner to the sharpest cat eye possible, and put on my high-waisted jeans. Not easy to find in the early 2000s when everything were hip huggers, mind you. Okay. Never mind that my face melted off in the South Carolina sun, and those tight jeans were a yeast infection waiting to happen. <laughs> I felt fabulous and wouldn't be told otherwise. <laughs> One day during a particularly slow lunch shift, I was behind the bar with my bandana on and plaid shirt tied when I noticed these two older men staring at me, not in the subtle skeezy way that every female server is used to, but outright gawking and then talking loudly about how I looked, how they liked my look, how it was perfect for what they were planning. (laughs) My initial thought was they were planning to skin me and make a vintage inspired suit. (laughs) What they were actually planning was so much better and also somehow a little worse. While clearing tables, I was stopped by one of the older gentlemen. Let's call him Old Red Face. He was shiny and puffy and greasy in a way that made my skin crawl. His hand, which was way too soft for a man his age, reached out to touch mine as I walked past carrying empty glasses. You are just absolutely gorgeous, he wheezed in a southern drawl. Oh, so that would be more like, you are absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) The other man with him who was bigger and wore overalls and a mustache that should have had its own chair. <laughs> Nodded in agreement. I put on my waitress voice, thanked them and kept moving. And they kept staring and kept talking. When they were about to leave, the men motioned me over. And then they asked me the question that is at the beginning of every true crime podcast. Have you ever, th- wait, you ever thought of modeling? You're done modeling. Yep. Insert record scratch here. I stumbled over an answer saying, no, I haven't. And so on. Ugh. So, and I'm going to revert back to Brooke voice. Okay. Well, we're here having a food, photo shoot. That's not my voice, Brooke. Okay. Yeah. yeah what? <sighs> I can't decide if I want to lean into this. Have you had a Southern accent since I've known you? I told you I've changed oh, in quarantine. Okay. Well, we're having a photo shoot tomorrow for our new liquor company and we love your look. We think you'd be perfect for it. Old red face handed me a business card and I reached out to take it. Oh my God, look at that. He held the card so my arm stayed put and then he touched my arm and the butter tattoo that is on my arm with his soft, soft hand. Then he laughed and laughed and laughed and mustache laughed. (laughs) When they composed themselves, they told they... When they composed themselves, they told me they wanted me and my butter tattoo front and center tomorrow for their product photo shoot. They were starting a moonshine business, and my vintage look was exactly what they wanted to sell their product. The job paid $500 for four hours. Right. Okay. In, 2000, in the year 2000? 2003, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was enough money okay. for me to risk my life. And I thought, at least if I were dead, I wouldn't have to pay rent. It seemed like a calculated risk worth taking. I was a dumb kid, but not so dumb that I would go to the shoot alone. My friend Lex was just twisted enough to find nothing but joy in this situation. (laughs) She relished the prospect of sitting in a warehouse in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, high as a kite and watching these creepy old men take photos of me. But it wasn't just me. Oh, no. These two specimens had also been to Twin Peaks, which is uh, we've got some old episodes back up and a two parter on Chesterons. It's a sex restaurant. Yeah. Restaurants. 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 Scantily clad uh, waitresses, which are actually called performers. Go back and listen. Okay, so they'd been to Twin Peaks earlier in the week and scouted some other quote unquote talent for the shoot. Chrissy and Tina. Tina with a Y. Oh. Their extensions were long and their Daisy Dukes were short. They were unfailingly nice and sweet girls who had done lots of jobs like this in the past. Tina even, Tina even bragged that this was how she paid for her new BMW. 
you. Jesus. Yeah, I love it. Chrissy was working her way through real estate classes. The whole day was strange and surreal and honestly, one of the best days I've ever had. Between set changes, Lex and I snapped pictures and took videos of vape hits. I changed from one vintage-inspired look to another while old red face took the photos on his phone. <laughs> yes, his phone. This whole operation was shot on an iPhone. And honestly, I wouldn't have had it any other way. The money was clearly not being put into the equipment, but was instead used for the race car, speedboat, and airplane used in the shoot. <laughs> At one point, while Mustache drove the speedboat across the lake, old red face screamed, fix your face at us from the dock. You just can't put a price on that kind of art direction. Eventually, all semblance of order left the chute, and old red face put Lex into the shots, along with a mechanic that had been in a garage nearby. We held banjos and washboards and spoons, looking exactly like the kind of people who would drink apple pie-flavored moonshine made on an old man's property. <laughs> At the end of the day, they cut me a check for the $500 and Lex got $250 for her contribution too. We took the checks and prayed they would actually cash. Miraculously, they did. And I was able to pay my rent for the next month without scrimping and saving. Big risk, big reward. And a big old billboard on one of the main drags heading into downtown GVL, South Carolina. I don't know. I don't know what that means. In downtown GVL. Okay. Just me, the mustache, and my butter tattoo. Thank you so much for reading this and for doing what you do. Y'all are the dang best. As a special and humiliating treat, I've attached some photos from the shoot. Feel free to laugh at with me. You deserve it if you've gotten through this whole story. Godspeed and good tips, Amanda. <laughs> Greenville. Any, oh, Greenville. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone, the photos are so amazingly bad. The Photoshop is so terrible. And this was a billboard and I cannot wait to post a few on social for you all to laugh at. You're going to enjoy it. That's so great. Um, all right, you guys, if you want to send a server submitted story to us, we love it. Good, bad, ugly, heartwarming, embarrassing, whatever you got, we want to hear it because we know they're out there. So you can feel free to drop that at sideworkpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you DM us, just know it's a little harder to write the story. Uh, in Instagram, so yeah. I suggest email, but we won't we won't turn away your DMs. We won't turn away. We won't turn away DM. All right, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for those stories. Happy Pride, Brooke. Happy Pride to you, Andrea. We are, you know, wrapping out the month of June. Yeah, so strong. We couldn't go without discussing the importance. Of pride and gay bars, yeah, baby. especially with the Supreme Court decision, uh, which is a non-discriminatory law across the land that LBGTQ folk cannot be discriminated against at work. So fuck all y'all trying to do that. Yeah, <laughs> fuck all y'all. You know, <laughs> but yeah, fuck all y'all. It's June, and and if you guys listening out there didn't know, June is Pride Month. So June is a time for the gay community to celebrate their fierce existence um, and just not give a fuck about what you think, basically. Yeah, right? Just like we were doing just then, like totes not given AF. Mm -mm. Just be who you mm -mm. are and not be sorry about it, essentially. And and uh, I remember, so I think, that, well, this would be 2015. So this is the final summer, right, that you and Brian lived in Chicago yeah. and we were all together for Pride when 
the marriage equality bill passed on the flight to see you guys. Yeah. And I got off and landed. Obama was speaking. And I just like danced the whole way to your home. And then we danced into the streets. And I remember <laughs> you, you lent me a bike. We were biking through the streets of Chicago during Pride. It was so glorious. I remember that. Brian also used to work when he talked about working, you know, at Irwin in the past in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he bartended... Um, Pride Parade Day, which is a Sunday in June, and the restaurant was right on Halstead, but backed up a bit before the actual parade like started, like where all the crowds were. But everybody was like in a holding pattern, and that's where Brian was. So basically, like everybody would come in and like use the bathroom or come in and they would just like buy shots and then go back out to their float and come back in. And he would be so busy all day long interacting with like so many amazing people um, participating in the day. But like I would go in and have brunch and sit at the bar with him. But then Brian would pour us like little coffee cups full of like mimosas or whatever. And we'd go out on the stoop of Irwin and just like watch the parade start. And it was it wasn't crowded. And we were, we would hoot and holler for everybody, and we got everybody when they were fresh, freshly geared yes. up. You know, yes, you were like the send off, the oh, bon voyage. Yeah. We were the bon Go voyage. Be- I was like yes. waving handkerchiefs and everything. I I also love the idea of like you know how outside of restaurants there's like the constant flow of like Ubers coming to pick everyone up, and I like the idea of just like hold on, I just called a float. <laughs> My float's here. I gotta go. My float's here. I gotta go. Nice Can I settle up. real quick? <laughs> <laughs> my my giant paper mache dick just arrived. <laughs> I gotta but go I mean, ride it. I'm pretty sure he would have like like everybody like they'd go in in regular clothes. These some of these men and come out in like a lame speedo, you know, and mm-hmm. then just be like, "Can I get a three shots of this? Leave a huge chip and then be out the door." Like that was a nice. typical Pride Sunday for Brian when he bartended, which is the fucking and best. That's the best shift you could ask for. It's really oh. true. <laughs> Because uh, you don't want to work the bars at Boys Town in Chicago after that no, because things are no. not so. But anyway, so we are here today to just um, talk a bit about the history, uh, specifically specifically of gay bars, because the movement happened in a bar. Yes, yes, yes. And obviously, being a service industry podcast, I mean, it couldn't be a better crossover history lesson celebra- celebration of what we do. Yeah, absolutely. So gay bars have always been a safe space um, from narrow mindedness and persecution, a place for art and innovation and free thinking and acceptance and basically the center of gay culture. Um, You know, talking about the history, like going all the way back, you know, I tried to do and I could have done a deeper dive going to like China, Mexico, you know, parts in Africa where like gay bars pretty much started. But it seems to me like Molly houses in Britain, which is what they were called, were one of the earliest versions of gay bars that appeared in the 18th okay. century. Um, so these were secret places where gay people were free to meet up and drink and dance and have sex. Um, and it basically inspired the idea of a gay bar. Well, it was not, you know, it's kind of like when you would say a saloon, a saloon was also like okay. a hotel and it was also like, uh, well, that's where you'd go get the lady sex right, upstairs. You'd get lady sex upstairs. I mean, who knows? Bas- who knows? There was probably some very progressive brothels back in the day, especially in the West. Who knows? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And I, I love that. I'm like, these are called Molly houses. And I immediately was like, that's right, Molly. Yeah. And you corrected me. <laughs> You're like, you mean Mary? Mary. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm a real Molly. Uh, she's being a real Molly. Get her out of here. No. Um, <laughs> mother's clap. Mother claps Molly house. 
was the most mother claps. Mother claps. Oh, that's not a good. Not- <laughs> oh, <laughs> Uh-oh. you got the mother of all claps by going to this Molly house. Basically. Oh God. So foreboding. <laughs> her original idea was uh, to have a haven for the homosexual community. And then she, and then we could say that she managed it too. That's what she's saying. So um, without these Molly houses, gay bars would not have the hit like the history that they have, which is which is amazing. So thank you, so, Molly. Thank you, well, Mother Clap. Yeah, thank thank you, Mother Clap. And it it's kind of giving me um, like a reminiscent feeling too when we did episodes about the dawn of coffee houses yeah. that they were places for people like all these you know clubs and and the thing they all have in common is women were never allowed in any of them well some of them were i mean the thing is especially when we're talking about cafe culture right um, and this is happening in like the 18 the late 1800s mm-hmm. there's a lot of free thinking happening i mean there's there are probably some coffee houses that were like we're fucking freud hung out where yeah there was like no women allowed and like mother issues and blah 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 and that's half the fucking problem right, right. there and it's like, that's not the one that I want to hang out yeah. at. I want to hang out. At, it, like the vibe Mother Clap is providing yeah. is more more my speed. <laughs> but like, you know, in Berlin, in France, um, you've got in France, there was this really famous bar called Zanzibar. Um, and it was open for 125 years. It closed in 2010. Wow. But you've got wow. Um, a lot of famous French artists and probably... You know, different artists, playwrights, performers, actors like visiting from different countries, flocking to places like this because they're the hotspot, you know, and the bohemian culture was very free thinking. That's very like, um, you know, like your Moulin Rouge POV, you know. Right, right. Or okay. everybody's on no matter no matter what, everybody's drinking fucking absinthe and like is fucking <laughs> opioided out of their mind, essentially. <laughs> So that's that. But then you've got Berlin in the 20s, which was like an insane gay culture, um, huge gay bar scene. Um, oh, yeah. And, and also, I'm sure, you know, like also like probably wear leather, you know, oh, fetish. Yeah. It's so German. A lot of harnesses and leather. Yeah. The roaring roar. Everybody who had like roaring 20s, like leather gear. I'm just trying to think and like, like leather and leather, a leather zoot suit. <laughs> <laughs> Those, no, those, and, and those like, spats became chats pretty quickly, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll not contribute fake history um, to the podcast <laughs> of just guessing. Uh, also, considering I'm a straight white woman, let me not try and rewrite your history. But that was just a fun... I was like, Germany and leather and daddies and... Mm. Um, but a lot of uh, this, this really beautiful scene and culture went dark when World War II started. Um, as we can, yeah, oppression, uh, obviously homosexuality was not accepted. Um, and you were considered, uh, everything went bad. I'm, I'm sure. And there was probably a lot of bad things that happened to a lot of people who decided to voice who Continue they were. To be out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even in Germany, um, because we, you know, after the war, everything was pretty shitty there for a while, but, uh, homosexuality was actually not, uh, legalized again until 1969 post-World War II. That's so crazy to me. Yeah. And, you know, we have all this European stuff. And like I mentioned before, you know, there's some stuff with Asia, but Mexico, um, there was a big raid in 1901 in Mexico City at a drag ball. 41 men were arrested. And so this number 41 um, has come to symbolize male 
homosexuality in popular Mexican culture. Oh, I love that. So like, oh, that's the dance of the 41. Um, You know, it was publicized by like a, it was less publicized by a raid of a lesbian bar on December 4th, 1901. Um, But, you know, there's just really rich culture. If you just really get in there, obviously there were fucking gay bars everywhere. I mean, we even know from like, certain tribes in native american culture like being gay or being trans was like you are looked at as like to be a higher being within the tribe right you know when you when you can embody the masculine and the feminine i mean why are we so opposed to that you know this white men get yeah mad (laughs) you know no i know they i i god i was just i don't know why i was thinking of this horrible mid-90s resurgence of the band like the eagles Uh and that dad rock jam that they put out called get over it get over (laughs) it it was like later on when they did the reunion oh it was so bad and i'm like that is just the white cis male dad rock anthem yeah that's a real stupid that's a real song it's got a real boomer beat to it it's so gross. I hate it. We have to. We have to put a video somewhere. It's like get over it. <laughs> I'm male. That's, I'm a straight white guy. Get over it. That sounds very it. triggering to me. Now that like, I just haven't thought about it. If I go back and listen to the lyrics, I'm sure it's going to be filled with like, "Stop it with your PC nonsense and get over it. Get on my dick." <laughs> <laughs> So I think it's really important to pause there as well and to note that this is also like not just a gay men situation, that gay women were also um, very much left out in the cold in terms of safe spaces for them to gather and usually had to, you know, hide and kind of have a little pocket within a gay bar. Yeah, because because women are still at this point not allowed just to have their own spaces publicly. Well, no, it was not until after World War One that women were even allowed to dine or drink in an establishment alone. Well, then you had to be in your what is it called? Your little your little Oh, your your snug. Your snug. You, you had to go hide in your snug in Ireland. Which is what I, um, I call my lady part sometimes. It's it's so snuggly. Um <laughs> But, you know, so and it is a funny thing too, where like, yes, we are of course celebrating gay bars, but even um you know, homophobia and misogyny absolutely exist uh, together in the same space. So, you know, it was pretty radical for women who did start uh, specifically women only lesbian clubs. And a lot of the times in the early days um, in New York City, what's kind of fucked up, too, is a lot of white women would leave their neighborhoods and go to lesbian bars in Harlem to hide in the black community so that their neighbors wouldn't recognize them. But this is not the case or the same safe space for an African-American woman who is trying to be out and proud because she, you know, would have to exist where she could be recognized. So a lot of women, their alternative was to have apartment parties. So a lot of cocktails in apartments where they could just, I know, I was like, you mean the future of America that we're going to be facing again? (laughs) Just apartment parties? I'm like, do you mean like a book book club? (laughs) Like, you know, I think that's, I love, I love an apartment party. And I'm sure. For sure. I'm sure these apartment parties were like ragers also. Oh, absolutely. Where it's just you you know, in, in this time and place too, it's, it's absolutely worth noting that to be white and gay is one level of 
uh, danger, you know, in your life, but to also be a person of color right. and gay is many strikes against you at this point. Oh my God, and so, absolutely. And just, you know, just a, a movement of black trans lives. Like, I mean, yep. yeah, it's everything is it's like there's progression and then there's no progression at all, but things are changing. They're moving. They are. Um, everybody's eyes are open. So when it comes to the United States, there's a, a handful of bars that claim to be the oldest gay bar in the U.S. Um, so there's uh, Cafe Lafitte in exile in New Orleans, which has been open since 1933. Um, you have the White Horse Bar in Oakland, which also 1933. The Atlantic House in Provincetown, um, which they say was like constructed in like the late 1700s but didn't really become like a popular queer hangout until the 50s and 60s um the gangway house in san francisco what's so funny when you come up on <laughs> read all these ones especially in the 30s everyone's like established here and here and here and everyone is everyone is like and tennessee williams hung out there <laughs> <laughs> like which i fucking love um but specifically i'd like to talk about julius uh in new york which is in the village. Um, I'm not sure if it's on Christopher Street, but it's a stone's throw from the Stonewall Inn, which we'll get into in a moment. Mm -hmm. But this um, gay bar dates back pretty far. Um, but in 1966, there was a big uh, sip-in, is what they called it. A sip-in, sip like SIP is what yep, you're saying. Sip okay, like, like, like I'm sipping sip my cup sip my drink and I'm not leaving. Um, because the laws were then that you couldn't get a liquor license and serve homosexuals. Um, you could not get that right. So because everybody like they're like degenerates and they're this who wants to give these hooligans alcohol? They'll, you know, do terrible things because, you know, oppression and well, Christianity I, and all that. But and, and they can literally also claim that uh, gay people are criminals yeah, because no, it's criminalized. Which is in well, we, oh, fuck, we can talk. Yeah. In the 70s. Yeah. Oh, my God. So um, get out of here, you criminals. Yeah, you're, you're teaching children in school. It's ruining your life. OK, so this uh, this society, uh, the Medellin Society, they're the ones that put together. They were a very pro-gay society um, and group. And so they staged this sip-in. And basically, everything went to court. And the court ruling in this case, it ruled that gays could peacefully assemble at bars. Um, and this led to the Stonewall Inn opening because the assembly was permitted. Um, now, as far as I know, <laughs> doing research, I'm not sure Stonewall had a liquor license or not. There's dueling um, information that I that I that I found out, but I assume they did. Um, so that leads us to the Stonewall Inn because without what happened at the Julius Bar, the Stonewall Inn never would have opened. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Cool. I yeah, I didn't know anything about the Julius Bar yeah. being the pre predecessor to Stonewall yeah. Inn because, uh, and I've been to Stonewall Inn. Have you? Uh, I never have. No, because I yeah, just, I we would have probably not in New York. I was, I've spent like three days, less than a week in New York total, maybe, you know, it's yeah. never happened for me, but I certainly, um, have spent plenty of time at plenty of gay bars in Chicago, Omaha, oh, yes. some of my favorite places. There's a place here called oil can Harry's that we have to go to when things are back to normal. That's one of, um, it's a very old gay bar here. It's in studio city. And they have nice. the biggest blonde dance floor that, you know, is fucking insane in the seventies. I mean, it's just, and there's a big upstairs. There's all these like weird little side rooms, like you like cavernous little area. It's so fun. I, I love yeah. it. I love it. 
Um, so the Stonewall Inn, let's just jump into the history, shall we? Um, so in 1966, three members of the mafia invested in the Stonewall Inn and specifically on purpose turned it into a gay bar. Um, it had been a restaurant and a nightclub for heterosexuals in the past, but the mafia believed. <laughs> well, and let's let's pause yeah. and just, you know, for anyone not aware, it's not because the mafia was woke. Right. And on the side of civil rights and human rights, yeah. they, they just knew. thought minorities could turn a profit. <laughs> yep. They just they they can sniff a- the cash. Baby. equals dollar bills, basically. Absolutely. What, what, what they're what they're saying. So right, don't give the mafia any credit. <laughs> but they, then they would serve watered down alcohol, and then they demand regular payoffs for protection. You know, so they have like a whole system in place. They'll be like, mm, you know, well, I guess if you guys don't pay us extra money, bad things are going to happen to you. Which you know. Oh gosh, right. when I think back to my last few years in Brooklyn, in one of the most mob riddled old neighborhoods where my when my landlord died we had to keep it a secret because uh, no one was supposed to know because uh, he was like a big mob guy it was crazy and then my neighbor across the street who I got into a fight with I said I'm calling the cops and he said to me <laughs> I had a real Karen moment for sure but he said to me call the cops see what happens <laughs> and I was like uh oh <laughs> they are the cops like it was it was I was like I'm sorry I immediately was like I've poked yeah. the hornet's nest yeah you're like uh, I'm really sorry <laughs> I, really I like left anything about anything sorry <laughs> sorry I like left I like left a, like a box of like fresh cannolis uh like on his doorstep I was just like I'm sorry I'm sorry we're good we're good so sorry Call the cops. See what uh, happens. There's probably a hit out on you still because those those cannolis <laughs> probably weren't great. If you guys and if you've ever seen the show The Deuce, this is very like they they really do a good job, I think, of showing like how New York City specifically at this time was really run by the mob. Not only were they running um gay bars they were also running porn shops you know they were and other bars so there's they had their fingers in a lot of buttholes if you know what i mean um is what i'm gonna say new york being a total butthole at that time is what i'm saying (laughs) it was (laughs) it it was the butthole of the east okay um so blackmail was happening specifically for closeted wealthy patrons right Okay, so but it still became a super popular gay bar um, because it had a dance floor and a jukebox. And you and I know, Brooke, you give us a fucking and this jukebox was famous. In this like, is yeah, you told me that there's um, a Spotify playlist. Yep, there's a bunch. You can just Google uh, Stonewall in like jukebox, and I think there's but like basically. Um, there's one specifically like everything that was playing on that night in 1969, June 28th, 1969, you can listen to all the music that probably played and people were dancing to that night because like the police didn't even get to the bar till like 1am. It was late. Oh God, that, that gives me chills. Which means the bar was probably only hopping for two hours probably previously before that because you know, New York, but yes, you can do that. So, um, this so it's a, there's a dance floor there's a jukebox mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. uh there's you know just sort of like a don't ask don't tell sort of understanding um, to just I mean, let police, people be themselves yeah, and police rights were common um because it was one of the only bars in the city where couples could slow or could slow dance together right and you just it was illegal to display homosexuality publicly at that time and it was yes also fucking illegal get this 
to wear three or more items of clothing that like weren't gender specific to you in their eyes at the time. So you could be arrested for that. Yep. You go to jail for having on a tiara. Yeah. Um, you know, possibly having your shirt open and maybe there's a little negligee <laughs> peeking out under that right. and just, you know, and right. Just anything that did not present as cis normative, you're going to jail. Yep. Ugh. So that was a lot. So, you know, as, as far as it went, as far as I have done research, it's like the cops would come in and say like, all right, ladies, everybody line up. You know, it was fuck it. They're all fucked up assholes. These cops. Doy. Um, everybody would get taken downtown. And this is from um, an account of this guy who was a bartender at the Stonewall Inn for like 30, almost 30 years or more. Fred E., nicknamed Tree. Um, Sequoia is his last name. So they called him like the, oh, the cool. big tree. That was his nickname. Nice. But he basically said the cops would come in. They'd say, line it up. Everybody would go downtown to jail um, he would lie and say that his name was Fenwick Fingernail to everybody. <laughs> I love him. So everybody would be tossed into a big jail cell. They'd wait to see a judge. And when they did, the judge would, the judge would either say like, get out of here or, or they'd get fined 20 bucks, which was like pretty obviously another payoff that was happening. Um, but then the next night, everybody would be back at the fucking bar. Like, and if they... Sometimes the cops would come in and raid and just take the booze. They'd be like, ah, we're going to take all this booze off your hands. And so a lot of the bartenders knew they had to have a stash in their car. And if that happened, they just have to go out to their car and bring booze back in. It was this whole dance. This whole dance. It just just this like charade that's so silly, but it just sounds like everyone kind of was like, "Okay, here we go. And what I heard from a lot of the patrons was, you know, being arrested and having a $20 fine was completely worth it totally. to be in a space yeah. where you could explore your sexuality and like live authentically. And they're like, yeah, throw me in jail. I don't care. Give me a ticket for being gay. I'll be back like the same night. You well, know, let's pause for a sec, because this is a podcast about the service industry. Can you imagine being in the fucking weeds and having a super busy night at this bar where people are going crazy and then the fucking cops come in and take all your goddamn booze? Then you have to stop everything you're doing. And like maybe you have a regular that will help you if you end a bar back and be like can you guys please go get the booze and then could you imagine started yeah that (laughs) truly that's like a oh boy yeah we've got to imagine also working at a place and just any of these bars we've mentioned an establishment but all these ones specifically being rated where like that was always going to happen yes and it's always in the back of your mind and you just keep going back to that job Night after night after night. I just. just it, well, and that's why that's why it hit a boiling point. No, abs, abs. It, it, that is very true. That is very true. So I think we painted a good a good picture. I mean, everybody was at Stonewall Inn, I think, too. It was just like the place to fucking be in many ways. Basically. So, yes, like you said, this tip, this tipping point is happening. And this is all leading up to June 28th, 1969, which is the Stonewall riots or uprising or mm-hmm. rebellion. Um, so. They were basically the riots themselves were a series of violent demonstrations by members of the gay community. Um, and the raid took place early that morning, like around 1 a.m. So in Greenwich. So basically the cops show up. It's the public morals division, right? Um, the cops show up. They also have undercover cops in there at the same time. So like there was also a signal. So the lights on the dance floor flashed and that would signal the cops are here, which is also fucking 
I just, I, I love that there was a signal that everybody was in on together. But this raid didn't go as planned because patrol wagons responsible for transporting and the arresting the patrons um, and taking the alcohol. It like everything took way longer than expected. Um, so basically released patrons and people who are standing by outside the doors outside the inn started to get really, really big as the night went on. Um, and the cops were getting afraid. And, like, basically the crowd was like, we're not fucking leaving. Fuck you. You can't tell us what to do. So then a scuffle breaks out uh, with a woman who's handcuffed as she's being escorted outside of the bar to a police wagon. And then she escapes. She fights with the four police. It was likely this woman, Stormy De La Verie, she basically sparked the crowd into a fight and because she, she looked at everybody and she's like, why, aren't, why don't you do something? And yeah. then an officer picked her up um, and heaved her in the back of the wagon. And then the crowd turned right into a mob and went fucking berserk. And the, I love that it. was the moment. That was the spark. Battle cry. And then, yeah. And so, like, the crowds and the onlookers. And, like, let's not also forget that, you know, just because the liquor had been raided a little bit earlier doesn't mean people weren't still drinking and riled up also. So they just started picking up bottles, cans, rocks, shoes, like anything they could to just start pelting police officers that, you know, this is the good old days when a cop would like, you know, take a couple punches, yeah you know, because now they're just uh, weaponized and murder you first, ask Seriously, questions later. You've got like drag queens like beating cops with their stilettos. Like, you know, I fucking love it. And it's not just, I mean, there's lesbians. There's, I mean, everybody's out there. Yes. Like just. No, you've, you've, you've got butch lesbians. You've got gay men, drag queens. And of course that is drawing an even bigger crowd because this is now a spectacle for anyone who doesn't exactly know what's going down. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so it it, it pops off. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So this went on for a few hours. It, it's, I think by 4 a.m. they were able to, to clear the streets. But the events that took place at the Stonewall in that night led to the first gay pride parades in the U.S. and then on to many other countries. So one year later, after the first riots, like, mark the day, there was a march which was led from Greenwich Village to the Sheep Meadow in Central Park. And that was the first ever Pride Parade. And I love that. And look where it's grown from here. I have like goosebumps on my head. My hair is standing and up. I, can we pause and have a moment of solidarity for a group of gay men, lesbians, and, you know, drag queens. Trans beating folks, yeah. Trans folks, but beating the shit out of cops. Oh, yeah. Let's just enjoy that visual of them just, you know, like just landing some haymakers, right? And those pigs in the face, you know? Anyways, <laughs> sorry. Oh, man, the good old days when you could punch cops. Anyways. <laughs> and then, you know, that all led to legislation gay rights like this was all mm -hmm. a jumping point to start fighting for your rights and making this a huge civil rights movement for the gay community. absolutely um and i think you know there was a lot of hardships i mean this was also like once this started happening of course there was backlash um you know of course people like fucking anita bryant is the worst i mean she in orange county was one of the top um, politicians trying to basically oppress anybody who is open. If any job you had, if you were a teacher, basically trying to get you fired. You know, Har Harvey Milk was a big fighter mm -hmm. of hers as well. Um, but again, you have this whole scene on, on the Castro 
where that even if you've seen the movie milk and not to like reference like whatever but they do show like basically like people going into the gay bars and saying come out and march with us you know it's it's, it's, it's very powerful um the movement and especially for it to happen in a place where everybody that i know you know unless even even my friends who don't drink anymore still like going to bars you know of course because it's a meeting place it's it's to be social to be embraced to just completely soak up your culture because we know that there prior to this there just weren't spaces of acceptance anywhere so it is it's cultural um in the sense where you're like i can come live my life i can be romantic i can just dance or we can also strategize and organize in this safe space yeah um i have this really good story that i found uh about a, a woman who is a bartender at a gay bar in Mississippi at a place called Sips. Um, and if you don't mind, would you like to role play with me a little bit? Oh, <laughs> sure. Place? Hold on. Um, oh, she's yes, typed it out so cool. as that, like, yeah. So basically uh, setting the scene, she gets a call one night uh, while she's working. So we, I don't think okay, we so I'll, I'll be the bartender. Yeah, you be the bartender. Okay, I'll be, I'll be the bartender. Okay. okay. So she says, so I got the most random phone call at the bar tonight. And I, okay. And she says, good evening. Thank you for calling six. And the lady on the phone says, hi, is this a gay bar? Well, we are an everybody bar, but yeah, mostly gay. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Are you gay? Yes, ma'am. Well, what was the one thing you wanted for your parents when you came out? Um, I mean, my son just came out and I oh. don't want to say anything that might mess him up in the head. Oh, well, I think that you should just make sure he knows that you love and accept Wait, do you accept it? Well, yes. I mean, if that's if that's what he wants. Well, you should definitely let him know that you love and accept him. I think everything will be okay from there. Okay, well, thank you. You are very welcome and good luck. And she says, 17 years of bartending in gay bars on the coast. That's definitely a first for me. Isn't that such an interesting post? Like, Well, to go from be, being such a marginalized and demonized sort of space to then this is a what, questioning this is mother. Yeah, and exactly. This is from Gulfport, right, Mississippi, is like, which is also a Mississippi's got some catching up to do. Let's face it, you know, but I think this is amazing. Oh, yeah. The fact that, you know, now it's like a place where, you know, for someone who's just on the outside and doesn't have resources. I mean, I guess this woman doesn't have Internet, but she's like, where can I get all the info I need? I know. A gay bar. She's like, I've heard that Sims place is a gay bar. I'll just pull out my phone book and look him up and give him a ring. I love it. I fucking love it. And then after that, she was like, P-Flag's a thing. I mean, the progression this woman must have experienced after like humbling herself to make this phone call and asks because she doesn't obviously know any other gay people at all clearly is pretty awesome hooray for bartenders making a difference every goddamn day out there brooke that's right bartenders (laughs) you are our moms and dads yes (laughs) so we talked about the history of stonewall we've talked about the progression you know of the gay bar what it became in the 70s holy shit what was a disco it was appropriation of fabulous gay bars you know what i mean if not a huge commingling of existence i fucking love the 70s there was so much progress happening in the 70s like and then everything got wiped away um reagan era yeah, dude. Yeah. 
I, I just feel like the best music was coming out of uh, gay bars, like fucking fashion, just the culture and the art and then just the renaissance of it all. Um, what was Studio 54? Just basically like gay artistic influence, like in my opinion. So here we are, 2020, um, and the relevance of the gay bar is interesting in that in some forms, it's kind of become novelty, you know, to white women having bachelorette parties. That's one thing, huh? Um, well, right. It's it's because of the inclusion and so much more of gay life being out, especially in big cities, is be, like gay, being your gay self can exist in any space now. Yeah. Doesn't mean that it's safe in every city in America by any means. Right. But I think, you know, you've got these like bigger gay bars, which are also nightclubs, where I think you're getting a much bigger mix of people all around. But you know what? There's a bright side of this pandemic. No more bachelorette parties. I'm sure that, yeah. I mean, even being, I'm sure there's been a lot, I think there's, and there have been a lot of pride Zoom meetings this month. um, Well, celebrations that way. It's really important that you bring that up because I think the final note we can end on and, and say that we really recognize is in this time of pandemic, it's it's really harmful and hurtful to people who need these spaces to help confirm and support their identities where they can't find it and access it so easily in norm world. And so something that has emerged is right now like big gay sort of like fabulous dance parties on Zoom because awesome. where else are you going to find your community, you know, or there's a lot of like, uh, you know, everyone join, you know, this Zoom is happening at this time. Everyone, you know, wear your best look, get dressed up. We are going to have a fashion show. And so there is celebration happening, even if we have to be distanced. But I just my heart goes out because, you know, it is a safe haven and it is a place that people need. I mean, we just in general as humans are missing each other and missing revelry and drinking and hugs and human touch. But we can do that as, as straight people, we can move through the world anywhere and do that. And so I do, I do think it's really sad that um, just in general clubs and gay bars are not going to be happening anytime soon. So got to find a way. And the gay culture has always been fantastic at finding a way to subvert, recreate, invent. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, God, happy pride. I know. I'm just like, uh, I guess I'll I'll just watch some documentaries and make, you know, yeah, make a stiff drink. Totally. And That's all you can do. It's all you can do this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, you know, we could just sit in some fabulous outfits and Zoom, you know, <laughs> later on if we want to. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll just be in my pool. Uh, oh. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to score an invite over to that <laughs> shit, girl. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you for listening. What a, We hope you really learned some things today. Um, I know we did, for sure. I know we and did, there's always sure. more to learn and know, and boy, oh boy, are we happy to provide it. Andrea, I love chatting with you. I love chatting with you, bruh. And we appreciate, you know, we appreciate you, our listeners. We hope that you learned something maybe a little bit new. I know I learned something new, Andrea. That Mother Clap owned a, <laughs> the first gay bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's amazing. Um, well, you guys, please uh, 
write in if you want to share a service remitted story, sideworkpod at gmail.com. And we'll definitely be talking to you next week. And until then, you know what we say. Oh, we say Godspeed. And good tips. Uh, and also good health. Yep, good health and uh, Godspeed and good fight, good you guys. fight, you guys. Talk to you next week.